This is the Master of Cinema Cast. My name is Joachim. And my name's Tom. And this is our 2016 wrap-up show. And with us, we have our man in Hong Kong, James Marsh. Thank you so much for joining us. Not at all. My pleasure. Good to talk to you again. Great. Um, 2016, lads. Like, where where did it all go wrong? With <laughs> Brexit and Trump and... I mean, the women's handball team for Norway losing in the semi-finals in Rio. It was a bad year for us. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, it's 2016 feels like a night out that I've woken up from the, and I'm, I'm, I'm having like nightmares thinking back of stupid stuff I've done. And it, it just seems like this endless <laughs> yeah. kind of nightmare that never ended. Um, I mean, obviously with Brexit, and Donald Trump on both nights I went to bed and went nah, I'll be alright don't worry about it and then woke up the next morning and the first words out of my mouth were bollocks and uh, um, it, yeah it's, it's a strange one and I prior to coming on air I was actually recording a wrap up show for my other podcast in which I was talking about I think all the misery and just general bleakness made me watch more films than ever to escape from this mm. kind of unravelling hell that was going on and uh, certainly looking at my letterbox thing, I, I clocked in more films last year than at any other time in my life. So the plus point for the impending Armageddon when we go to war with China and Russia and Finland and whoever else annoys Donald Trump and when Britain's an economic wasteland with jackals shitting in stairwells everywhere will be that I'll, be, I'll get a lot more time to watch films, which is a good thing, I think. Yeah. That's a positive That's way it. of looking at it. Stay yeah. positive. I think, yeah, you saw a lot of people talk about, oh, well, just imagine how this will inspire the artists of the world to create such wonderful movies and music. And it's like, I'd rather just have a mediocre year, to be honest, rather than... <laughs> yeah, and this is, the other thing. this is the other thing. I was, I was like saying my own podcast, where was the anger in films last year? Where was the kind of the pissed offness? I mean, it might come, I think, in the next two years. We're going to kind of get mm -hmm. a little bit, the, the art, the culture might reflect the kind of injustice that everyone feels. But I, I, I don't hold up much hope, to be brutally honest. You know, I think it's a, it's a safe bet now to put money on La La Land winning. I can't see at the Oscars, I, I can't see people sitting down now to watch uh, Manchester by the Sea or uh, what's the other one, Moonlight, and going, yeah. This is the best thing that happened in 2016. <laughs> I'm already dreading the Oscars because you know it's going to be one political statement after another. I, <laughs> I just hope that I just hope Trump live tweets the whole thing. It's going to be fantastic. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. La La Land, yes. sad. Something like, that. <laughs> like he does. He always adds that little that one word at the end, doesn't he? He's, he's, he's um, such a lie. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. fake. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh god. Help us. Um, yeah. I suppose the other blight so as well on 2016 was England's abject performance in the Euros. Um, that was the oh, other th I mean, that was another awful. thing. I, I, That's business as usual. Yeah, well, business it? as usual. And um, <laughs> our fans as well, trashing provincial French towns just because they're there <laughs> in some sort of Brexit revenge mission. Um, that was another kind of rather kind of blight on the, uh, on the whole footballing thing. But I did sort of turn into a kind of, I don't know, sofa kind of football hooligan because my girlfriend texted me and said aren't you embarrassed by your England fans and my text back in it I, I even I didn't even think and I, it, I just put I couldn't give a fuck 
And I don't know if this is some sort of weird kind of like Brexit kind of toxic masculinity thing going on. But I, I, I was just absolutely, obviously she's Irish. She was going on about how wonderful their fans were. And I, just, I couldn't give a fuck. And I just thought, well, what am I even saying that for? This is embarrassing, but I don't know. 2016. Um, for MOC, they have released 24 releases from what I could count. It's been um, a bit difficult trying to find out how many releases they have, trying to compare the Wikipedia list, yes. which is actually more informative than their own website. But we, we've covered this point before, I think. Yes, I, I yeah. you. Yeah. Um, but they did release two box sets, which were Blu-ray only, the Murnau and the Keaton set. They released 15 dual formats and seven Blu-ray onlys, which I think is a bit on par with uh, previous two years, I think. so. Yeah, there seemed to be a lot coming through the letterbox, which mm-hmm. is quite nice. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Um, I thought this year we would do things... Uh, a bit out of order uh, in that we would first do number three of our top three releases and then uh, return to our top three releases after um, covering uh, some other categories. Okay. Um, a, bit, a bit like the Oscars. Okay, yeah. can kind of like build up some suspense. We, I like it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, could I have number three of your top three releases, James? Sure. Um this is uh, a bit tricky for me because it was one of those years where I just assumed as soon as the early Murnau set came out, I just assumed, oh, well, this is going to be like my favourite release of the year or one of mm-hmm. them, certainly. And then, fool that I am, never got around to watch it. <laughs> and uh, I just kept putting it off, putting it off and going, OK, I'm going to get to it, I'm going to get to it. And it wasn't until this week that I was like, oh, crap, I really actually have to get to that because chances are I'm going to like it. Uh, and so here we are now, and I've only watched one of the films and one of the documentaries, so I cannot, in good faith, put it on my list, but it would mm. it would at least be here. So I had to kind of panic and uh, pick something else. And so I've gone with Kess because, okay. um, because, you know, I thought it's a nice way of reminding myself how grim and horrible it is in the UK. <laughs> and uh, reminding myself that I'm not there. And... Uh, <clears throat> It's a you know it's a nice nostalgic piece of cinema from my from my childhood and uh, I remember it get it sort of traumatizing me fondly back in the day and uh, I thought they did a pretty decent job. I was, I'm always a bit worried when uh, they bring out something that you know has already come out somewhere else. You know, like obviously Criterion brought out a pretty decent version of it not too long mm-hmm. ago, but um, fortunately I didn't have that. So uh, I, I picked this one up, and uh, I thought it was pretty damn good. It looks it looks fantastic. I really like the transfer, and uh, it's got a good uh, a good stash of special features on there as well. So, mm-hmm. um, and also I watched I Daniel Blake the other day, and I'm like, come on, Ken. I I was really disappointed by that one actually. I <laughs> I've thought he's not, just still... I've not seen that film yet actually, <clears throat> and it, I, only because at work. Um, everyone was going on about it and how I needed to see it. And as soon as anyone at work says, you need to see this, I instantly don't want to see it. Just because <laughs> I just don't trust them on their opinion of films. And um, everyone was like, right. it was sort of billed to me as this film that I have to see. You need to see this film. And instantly that makes me go, yeah, I'll wait for it to come out on Blu-ray and I'll, I'll watch it in my own good time, I think. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it's one of those films where as soon as it comes out, you're like, well, I know it'll be fine. At, yeah. at the at very least, it's just a case of how much better than that it is. And I came out just kind of going, 
No, it was just fine. It's, you know, the welfare system sucks. Yeah, I get that. Uh, he's been telling us that for a very, very long time. And, mm. you know, I wanted to like it more. And I just came out thinking, I don't think he's covered any new ground. And I, I said that to somebody the other day, and they were like, well, that's the point, isn't it? If nothing's changed, you've got to keep banging the drum and uh, until the, something does happen. And I, I was like, yes, but... I don't think that the characters and the stories he chose to tell in that film were anything new, really. So it's fine, but it's no more than that. And there were plenty of films at Cannes last year that were more, way more deserving of the uh, Palm Door than that, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, as I as I was saying in my uh, my podcast, my other podcast, so wrap up show, the most the best piece of political cinema I saw last year was Thirteen Hours: The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi by Michael Bay, um, which has got the worst politics you can possibly imagine in it. And uh, <laughs> and I, but as a companion piece, yeah, I, guess I was talking about this kind of lack of kind of angry political films going <laughs> around. And I, I kind of felt a bit like, you know, like you're saying about I, Daniel Blake, was that I, I kind of didn't really think I was going to see. I, di- I didn't think, oh, I, this is really going to open my eyes or change my mind something I don't know something about. Where, and yeah, it seems like a very obvious target. And perhaps it's a film that needs to be made, I suppose. I mean, there's always a, you can make that argument. But yeah, the, it, 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 didn't, it just did not seem to be doing anything for me. I couldn't get motivated enough to watch it. Hmm. Sadly. Yeah, so... Um, okay. So, so yes, Kess. Um, and Tom, what about your third pick? My third pick was, um, I, I suppose, we, we've even covered it on a show, it was actually Rocco and His Brothers, um, yeah. which was, I, I was really looking forward to the re-release of this, and the transfer was magnificent. Last year, I went on this kind of Italian neorealism binge watch, and... Uh, I'm working my way through all the films of Visconti and I just absolutely love this film as we discussed in that episode uh, it's so rewatchable, and the characters grow on me each time that I actually see it and just having it on Blu-ray obviously it was this was a Blu-ray upgrade from them but um, projecting it at home on that, on that wonderful print it, it was an absolute delight and I think it's, it's, it's always nice when you watch a film and then you realise that it is one of your favourite films of all time and I, I think I think I've kind of come to the conclusion that Rocco and his brother would probably be in my top 10 ever so yeah just so just for purely for the fact that I um, have come to love the film so much over the past year yeah Rocco's made it at number three hmm good choice um my third choice was um after after watching Dragon Inn in 2015, I think it was, I was quite ready for A Touch of Zen when it was released in early 2016. And I thought it was a truly like iconic film with some really great imagery. And it did take me a while to settle into it. Uh, and it's almost an hour before the first real fight scene appears. But once I really got into the groove of it, I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. And it has a great commentary by Tony Raines, as always. And and moving on to the next category, it also has a great transfer. Um, because that is my pick for the, the favourite transfer of the year. Uh, the uh, presentation of it really like dazzled me and it has some gorgeous and lush colors uh it's not too like 
glossy or unnaturally sharp, uh, but it has a real pristine transfer with some really impressive like black levels and the color depth, especially those jungle scenes really struck me. So that is my pick for the favorite transfer. Yeah, because you entered the projector, home projector uh, tribe this year, didn't you? Or in 2016. Yes, um, I did. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, and obviously you can't say it, but I'm sure you kind of probably love it more than your girlfriend now, as, as, as I do with mine. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a tough one. But no, I mean, I touch the end. I mean, when I, when, I, uh, when, when I kind of, I watched it, I, I completely agree with you. It took me about an hour to kind of get into it. But once I did get into it, um, I, I had a thoroughly great time with it. And I've heard so much about this film. I actually incorrectly for years thought it was a porno like an art porno film i don't know mm. why i don't know where that came from or why oh it's because there's so, a film called sex and zen ah that's it which well, that's is that which is like soft porn hong kong stuff ah, well that, that's that that's that mystery solved then so yeah i was yeah obviously pleased to find it wasn't a porno and was actually kind of a really interesting film i'm still yet to kind of have the kind of crossing the rubicon moment with this type of film though kind of you know the I don't know what what's the style of this called. I can't remember now. Uh, Wuxia um, film. Yes, yeah. I, I'm yet to kind of kind of really get massively into it, and I hopefully I need to pick a movement for 2017 or a kind of style of film like I did with Italian neorealism last year. So I might kind of kind of look at this, but I think it was a nice entry into that world. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's my um, pick for best transfer as well. So um, <coughs> just to yeah jump in there. Uh, I mean, having I mean I've seen the film quite a few times and have having it look so shit for so long uh you know i had this old sort of tai seng dvd where it's still cut into two parts because it was originally sort of presented as in two halves because mm. the producers didn't like it and uh so you know being able to see it look so good and uh have it all like you know put back together again was uh you know it's, it's it really is a sort of dream come true for for people who are fans of this kind of cinema really and uh yeah mm. particularly when it gets all kind of psychedelic towards the end it uh it just looks fantastic i mean i do agree with you it does it does take a very very long time to get going and back when it was in sort of two parts you can almost sort of ditch the first half of the movie altogether and just start with part mm-hmm. two because they actually edit it they cut it so that the the fight in the forest that happens at around sort of halfway through they actually you, you watch you see that twice they actually start part two with that whole sequence again even though that's the oh, end okay. of that's the end of part one so <clears throat> we you know after the first time i watched it i would always just stick on part two and then uh you, you know you say you start with action straight away and then it's non-stop all the way through but uh it, it you know I've, I've grown a new appreciation for that first hour or so of the film thanks to this release actually so uh so thank you master mm. cinema for that definitely mm. tom what about your favorite transfer um i've got a few well i've got um two actually um the, the first one was paths of glory which mm. I thought looked absolutely incredible. And the second one was um, The Man from Laramie, which was one of the first CinemaScope westerns. And uh, I just thought that looked absolutely incredible. Um, mm. I, I was totally kind of drawn into it and just the... the it looked absolutely pristine, um, the job that they had done on it. And I, I was completely... Blo- I, I really, really enjoyed that film, actually. And um, mm. another one, I kind of, an honourable mention in Moscow, I think Fixed Bayonets as well looked pretty great. Um, the only thing I would say is the kind of the high definition kind of did show the settiness of the film 
a little bit more than I perhaps remember it from. I've, I've seen Fixed Bayonets quite a number of times and kind of the, the it's, it's clearly been filmed on a back lot somewhere and some of the artists did show up a little bit, but overall I thought that one looked pretty great as well. Hmm. Okay, so moving on to the next category, uh, the favourite cover. Uh, Tom, what is your favourite cover of the year? Um, my favourite cover of the year is for one of the releases that, that came out that I've always found it to be a profoundly average film that I feel like I should like a lot more than it is. And that was actually Flight of the Phoenix. <laughs> um, I really like the old, I just gone for the old school. Um, I think it must've been the original poster they used when they were promoting the film. But I love that poster for some reason. And I, I kind of, it's, it's a strange film, Flight of the Phoenix. I always feel like it should, I, I, I think it's be- I, I think I think it's better than it actually is, and it is quite enjoyable. But and it's very long as well. Um, going back yeah, and watching, yeah. It, watching it again, but uh, yeah, that would be my. my I, I always go on the kind of the cover. Would I want a poster of it on my in my house? And I definitely would with that. In fact, I mean, I actually think I was actually looking at getting one uh, quite recently. Hmm. So. James, what about your? Well, I I use exactly the same criteria. <clears throat> it's uh, it's you know, would I want it on my wall and. For me, there was really only one choice, and that's uh, Man with a Movie Camera. You know, I just love that all that old sort of Soviet <clears throat> artwork. I've actually got a couple of T-shirts from the guy who who did that poster, and um, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, you know, the weird kind of t- fonts and everything on it. It's you know, it's it's gorgeous stuff, and. Uh, I, yeah, nothing else really jumped at me. I do, yeah, the Flight of the Phoenix one is is kind of fun and does capture sort of that old style adventure, uh, sort of uh, sort of hand drawn magic of of the film. But for me, no, it was it, there was no second place really. You know, there was uh, it was no competition right from the beginning. I just love that design for man with a movie camera. Hmm. Okay. Um, I had like um, three runners-up, uh, including Flight of the Phoenix and Man with the Movie Camera, and also mm. Pass of Glory. I really yes, like that, that one cover. As well. that, was my, that was second on my list, actually. Yeah, but my favorite um, cover was actually from a film that is uh, one of the stranger experiences I've had, which is Eureka. Oh. Mm. <laughs> um, the film itself is uh, quite um, quite an interesting experience, but the cover I really feel is such a um, evocative cover in that um, you have some really simple um, colors there with the gold and the black uh, black usage there, and also you have um, like the symbolic nature of a man. Um, he's uh, on a um, a hunt for gold and you see like the older Gene Hackman as the face of that gold mountain and it looks like gold is spewing out of his brain or something Uh, I mean after you've seen the film you sort of understand more of that symbolic nature of that what that uh, image is um, trying to capture so I really really enjoy that uh, cover actually so yeah I had a great Eureka was one of the craziest experiences I had with Masters of Cinema this year. <laughs> I watched a double bill of that and um, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Oh, nice. I just, oh, my <laughs> God. I, I needed to go for a walk afterwards just to kind of cleanse my mind. It was, um, yeah, he's a very, very interesting film. But that, I've never seen, G- Gene Hackman is terrifying in that film. Mm. It's, I've, I've never seen anyone so angry in all my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah great stuff i really really enjoyed it and i I think you're right that i think the cover does kind of 
complement the madness of the film, as it were. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to going more in depth into Eureka at some point yes, in the future. Definitely. But um, moving on, uh, I'll do my second pick okay. uh, of our top three releases because it's the same as your third pick, Tom. Ooh. It's Rocco and his brothers. Um, we talked about this one already, of course, uh, in the autumn, I think. Um, so if you want to hear like any more of my thoughts, you can go back and listen to that episode. But it immediately like claimed a spot as one of my favorite films of all time, actually. Wow. And apart from the film itself, um, it also has some extensive features and a pretty great cover. Yeah. So I must be I'm ashamed to say that. Uh, Rocco and his brothers is one of about four films that came out this year that I didn't get to watch and I've still never seen Shame it. Shame. I know. Shame, yes. I know. So it, it was hang, next hang on my your list. Head. <laughs> I might even sit down and watch it tomorrow. Do it. In fact, do it right now. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys, I'll see you in three hours. Back in a minute. Yeah, right, cool. Right. Great. <laughs> Okay, so James, what was your second pick? Uh, we've already talked about it quite a bit. It is A Touch of Zen. You know, for many of the reasons I've <laughs> already said, it's just great to have it all you know, edited back together, looking so good after looking so bad for so long. And there's uh, there's some fantastic stuff on there. Like you said, the the, the scenes select, the select scene commentary from Tony Raines is fantastic. I, I really love sort of David Cairns' video essays. Uh, there's some great hmm. stuff to read in the book, including obviously like the the stuff from the the Cannes Film Festival debut and uh and then this great documentary on uh, on King Who as well you know and uh, just on his uh, his career there which which is a real sort of eye opener for a lot of people because i think he's still not as well known as as perhaps he should be uh compared with some of the other people in the uh, working in the wuxia genre at that time so all round yeah. bang up job well done definitely good, good. And Tom. Um, well, my s- second one was a film that I have owned on every single format, including the, uh, I, th- I think I put it on VHS, DVD, I bought the Criterion Blu-ray, and it was Stanley Kubrick's Paths of Glory, which mm, uh, nice. one of the things that I literally is a, a, a topic w- which will literally send me on rants for, for hours is the death penalty. I think it's the most barbarous thing. Um, a society can can do to itself and this film came out I think it was just after there'd been some more um, executions in Indonesia I think for some drug dealers and there was one particular chap who, who was killed who it was to say he was guilty was, was a stretch it was but by everything I read he seemed to have been in the wrong place at the time and it kind of enraged me and I watched this film straight afterwards and it it, it, it has it's lost none of its power to, mm. to I think it, I think it makes it it shows how firstly about the, the first of all in general how brutally unfair it was and just how awful the death sentence is I think it's a film which I think is, it'll be relevant f- as long as there's the death penalty in the world this film will always be relevant and it's mm. um it looks gorgeous as well, this transfer. It sounds amazing as well. That's the other thing I really liked about it. And it's great having it on Master Cinema because when I've got my Region A Criterion films, the process of actually... I don't have a Region 3 Blu-ray player, so the process of watching them is so annoying. I have to copy the film onto a hard drive and then put it onto a re-recordable Blu-ray. It takes like three hours to do all this faffing around. So I'm just so oh, wow. pleased that master cinema have put this out because now i can just you know 
watch it whenever I feel the urge to kind of annoy myself and get angry. But um, yeah, <laughs> brilliant film. Um, it's one of Kubrick's best. And as well, I just, I love Kirk Douglas. I, and mm. he's just so good in this. And, and some of the um, the features as well, I mean, there's like an isolated music and effects track and there's a quite an interesting um, interview on it. But yeah, Paths of Glory, masterpiece. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next category is uh, the favourite special feature. Uh, so James, what was your favourite special feature of the year? Well, I think it's a toss-up between the... Uh, the, the King Who documentary on A Touch of Zen and the mm-hmm. the documentary with Ian Christie on Man with a Movie Camera. You Damn know, it, covering man, that's mine. <laughs> covering Ziga Vertov and you know, the life and times of Ziga Vertov. I just found it fascinating. I did I didn't really know much about him going into this and uh, it really just it's it's the perfect accompaniment to this this incredible set of of films you know it touches on everything and it gives you context for not only man with a movie camera but all the other films that are included as well and uh, at the same time it doesn't bog you down with sort of history and biography it's just a really nice kind of balance of of information and entertainment and i just thought okay this is absolutely perfect this is just exactly what a uh, you know a, a special feature should be so that one hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm the same. It was mine, my, my favourite one as well. I absolutely loved it. Um, just mm-hmm. completely fascinating. And uh, yeah, it was. I watched it twice, in fact. I found it so interesting. So yeah, that was a, a real highlight for me as well. Interesting. Um, my favourite special feature was actually Adrian Martin's commentary for The Man with the Movie Camera. So <laughs> it covers so many like interesting. Yeah factoids and he's such a captivating speaker i think and he manages to deliver us he delivers like film theories and ideas without it feeling like a lecture um i think he's just a great orator mr martin so yeah i think just kind of a word really on um director's commentaries and you know commentary tracks in general because i remember when dvds were first announced and we were going to get these features I thought they were the, this was like manna from from heaven really. I went through this phase of just listening to. I'd buy a film and if it had a commentary, that was like brilliant. And I kind of, I kind of stopped listening to them really. I, I don't know. I don't know why. I, I sort of like the novelty wore off perhaps a few years ago. Mm. But I've got really back into listening to audio commentaries. And it seems like if I'm doing the washing up or something, or I'm cleaning my house, or I'm just doing mm-hmm. the pottering out, I'm doing the worst thing ever at the moment, which is doing the decorating in my house, which is. Bloody <laughs> chore! If anyone wants to come around and help me, do, do pop in. Um, but I, I like nothing more than putting a film and listening to the commentaries on them. Now it's so interesting when you find out the kind of the anecdotes and the you know, people's kind of theories on what they're about. And uh, it's definitely something which uh, it's kind of re- 2016. I think was kind of a re uh, kind of a reignition of my love of film. And I think commentaries have kind of gone back up there. I, I, I so enjoy listening to them. And like you said. Um, you Kim, the one on this one was absolutely brilliant. I, th- I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And it's the perfect kind of film to have a commentary for. I mean, because it's A, it's a silent film and B, it's a documentary. So you, it, it, should, it could quite easily be the way to watch that film now. It's just it's, having, yeah. that, having that commentary on sort of just as if that was always the case. Absolutely, yeah. Um... So, uh, th- yeah, the next category, um, which is sort of a, uh, I listed it down as a like special surprise of the year or 
the individual film of the year, not necessarily the release itself. But um, mm. yeah, Tom, um, what is your well, pick I've, for that category? I've, I've actually got three, so I've cheated. <laughs> okay. So the first one was Fedora, which was the Billy Wilder film that came out, which I kind okay. of felt was a companion piece or kind of like it's playing the same ballpark as Sunset Boulevard in a way. Yeah. Um, it was a kind of. It's a structured very old, similarly, isn't it? Yeah, and it had this kind of who done it kind of vertigo thing going on as well, and I, yeah, I, I was pretty, it was a little oddity, and I was I was pretty pretty taken with it. And another film which was oh, I'd say it was most the, the most perfect Saturday afternoon piece of fluff was Twilight's Last Gleaming, right? Which ha- which has the most unrealistic president of the United <laughs> States ever. I, literally, I've seen oh, geography teachers. It's the most bet- poorly. It's the most poorly planned heist ever, isn't it? It's like breaking <laughs> into break, breaking into that breaking into that base consists of them being able to just punch people and be able to overpower them <laughs> like that, and it just goes on from that. I'm like, what is going on? This is really your plan? It was uh, it was it's quite astonishing. I thought. Yeah, I, I, it was brilliant. It was it was one of the most. It, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I, I've never. It was the president. I think it was played by Charles Dunning, and he was just like. How did I not know the Vietnam War was just one big setup? And then he's like, right, I'm going to go down there and sort this out. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, what is going on here? And then you, you see these kind of guys, they're like, I mean, Burt Lancaster. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there'd be more fail safes than that. Like we said, it was like the A team. We're just going to punch yeah. our way in, and I'm going to point yes. this at you. Lot. Exactly. It was absolutely mental, but I loved it. I, I it was, I, and it was an angry film. It was a really pissed off film. This, it was brilliant. Mm. But my other surprise. And and this is a surprise, and, and not a good surprise either, because I saw what I consider to be one of the worst films I have ever seen in my entire life came out of Master Cinema, and that was <laughs> that cold day in the park. Yes. That literally, yeah. I, I, even my cat, which was sat there with me watching it, <laughs> I, I swear to God, even he turned to me at one stage with a look of, Tom, what on earth is this? Get it <laughs> off. I have never seen anything. So I know it's a Robert Altman film, so instantly perhaps that's something we need to be interested in. But this film was utterly, utterly ridiculous. On, on every single level. What on earth <laughs> is this woman thinking of? Bringing this... And, and then there was this weird kind of incest stuff going on. And I was just like, what is this? Hmm. Beyond me, I, I just have nothing nice or good to say about that film. It was just, in, it was incredible. I want my hour and a half, my life back. <laughs> um, a definite surprise, yes. Um, it sort of falls in, it sort of falls into that um, like female protagonist um, genre that he does uh, from time to time with three women and also. Yeah, but I mean, come on. <laughs> Come on! I mean, what's it doing in the Master of Cinema <laughs> collection? What's it doing in any collection? Yeah, it is an oddity, though. Uh, I think that is perhaps one of those um, underseen Altmans that they feel uh, for a reason. Uh, yeah, it's just some like yeah, lost yeah. Altman film, isn't it? So yeah, exactly. And sometimes they pop on uh, a few of those, um, like these underseen uh, films from directors who are well known for other films. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, James, what about your pick? 
Uh, okay, well, I mean, in terms of discoveries, it, I think it was another sort of good year of just them releasing stuff I I never even knew existed. Uh, you know, and mm-hmm. whether whether they were any good or not. I mean, like things like a new leaf and fedora and conversation piece uh, and even yeah that cold day i'd never heard of these films before they announced them twilight's last gleaming as well i just didn't know didn't know what it was i had no idea what it was Mm. um and some of those films i was grateful to have seen and some of them less so but (laughs) i think uh topping that list for me was undoubtedly eureka because I again I I'd, I'd never heard of it. I, you know, obviously I've heard of everybody involved making it, and yeah, it was just like, how does this film exist? And I'm just not even be aware of it. And then for it to be so sort of weird and wonderful and just odd and you know, sort of beautiful in other ways and just it's, it's so unique and and strange that I was like, okay, this is great. This is a film I'm going to need to go back and watch a number of more times before I can really sort of get my head around everything that's going on. But um, I've only watched it once so far. But yeah, undoubtedly, this is the one that jumps out as as an absolute sort of eureka moment. Really, it's just this is this is the discovery. This is the thing that they they put in my letterbox that I was like, what the fuck is this? Oh, oh it's quite great. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, hmm. it, it, I, I thought it was pretty great. I mean, think about it, it's, it's really epic as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, sure. The, the the time frame it goes over is is insane. And Rutger Hauer in it. I mean, I would be angry <laughs> if my daughter married that Rutger Hauer. Yes. Yeah, I would be furious. <laughs> I, would, I would be as I would be raging as as, uh, as Gene Hackman is. But um, yeah, it's bonkers, but it's brilliant in every possible way. I loved it. Hmm. It's great, isn't it? Great when you watch a film and the first thing you think is, "God, I want to watch that again." Absolutely, mm. yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing better. There's something worse than when you go watch a film. You're just like, oh, "That's right," you know. Someone, someone like, you know. By the time you've got home, you've forgotten about it, or by the time you got downstairs or whatever. But a film like Eureka, I was like, sort of a bit sort of numb afterwards, and the next day I was still thinking about it, and f- for all manner of crazy reasons. And that's a great thing. And like you say, you know. To, to, I'd never heard it I knew nothing about it and then yeah, it was like here you go here's this crazy film enjoy and uh, yeah mission accomplished mm. <laughs> um, my pick for special surprise of the year is actually like it's it came across as quite uh, ordinary when I when I received it in the mail uh, it was The Last Command um, oh, yeah. by Sternberg um, but that I'd never heard of the film, uh, but Sternberg and most of all Emil Jannings just—they really brought it home for me. And I—I I guess I shouldn't have been that surprised, seeing as Blue Angel is one of my favourite MOC releases. But I didn't have like much expectation popping it in, um, and I surely didn't expect it to take me on like a trip from Hollywood to old Russia and just that that melodrama, but also that bit of absurd and satirical nature of it um yet like very i thought it was very sophisticated in its presentation and just a beautiful film to watch so uh, that is one that has surprisingly stayed with me uh, since i watched it this spring actually so yeah i really yeah. enjoyed it as well actually um it was, mm. Mm. the ending the, the ending really got me actually as well I yeah like, oh, <laughs> me as well oh, 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 <laughs> have you done that for and that was Brexit and fucking Donald Trump president. Yes. <laughs> fucking England around the Euros, you know. Job shit. It was just, it was just like this kind of like. If it, in fact, if ever a film 
sums up 2016 from Martin. It was that train crashing into the water and the girl drowning. That's that's yeah. There you go. That's it. Tugs at your heartstrings, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I did. It did. It did it for me as well. Mm. Okay, so um, our final pick uh, for the top release of the year. I can start. Um, we have covered this film uh, already quite a few times, but it is The Man with the Movie Camera, um, another film that we've done an episode on. But um, at the time of this recording, I think that is yet to be released. Yes, it is. Yeah, actually, sorry, yeah, I will yeah. do that ASAP. Yeah. Um, but again, you'll hear more of my thoughts on Man with the Movie Camera if you listen to that episode before this one or afterwards. Um, but it is quite a unique film in my eyes whose ambitions, they go like far beyond most filmmakers today, I feel. And it manages to deliver on them as well. Uh, it is a remarkable film with just a supremely dazzling transfer and it's jam-packed with features as we've covered. So even though I I didn't enjoy much of the rest of the films included, it, it just speaks to the, the quality of the release that they included these four of the films, as well as the thick booklet in a time where other companies slim down. Take that criterion. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's my favourite as well. So I can't, I, there's no much more I could add to I mean, the, the interesting thing is that I, I, when you're kind of talking about the kind of the technical achievement of it, I, I'm, I'm going on holiday actually in July to the Azores and I'm buying a drone for this trip because I'm determined mm. to make one of those awful um, drone <laughs> videos that everyone makes and posts up on YouTube. And I was thinking, God, it was just such a shame that, you know, to, to go and give him now like a drone and a GoPro and see what you'll do with it and do all these wonderful things. And it's what I kind of, it's why I hate all these bloody GoPro and drone footage because they're just the same. People fly things high up in the air and you look down and you go, oh, that looks nice. But no one does anything really kind of bold and brave with them and just enjoys like these kind of tools for telling crazy little stories like he did. And that's hopefully what I'm gonna do with my Azores video. I wanna make a kind of an Azores experimental Soviet propaganda film with my drone and GoPro. That's, that's my end. But, no, it's just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just an explosion of cinematic fun, Man With yeah. the Movie Camera. I absolutely love it. And it, it, it never gets boring either. Right. No. So I mean, I watched it in, in preparation for this again. And yeah, it's just, it's fascinating. You can just watch it and just appreciate it on so many different levels. Absolutely. James, what is your number one pick? Uh, it's a little film called Man with a Movie Camera. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw this one, but uh, no, no, go on, go yeah, on. What's no. it about? It's come on. I mean, this is it's absolutely fantastic. That it's easily the best release of the year. I mean, it's just a guy going on an odyssey to ex- so explore sort of the the limits, the boundaries, the of of filmmaking and of cinema, and it's kind mm. of teaching the audience along the way. You know, it's like this is what watching film can be like and this is you know this is a whole new medium for you and me to enjoy equally kind of thing you know I'm going to go and see what I can do with this and you're going to sort of enjoy it on all kinds of other levels and um, yeah I mean the film just works in so many different ways it is probably you know the most sort of relentlessly entertaining silent documentary you've ever you'll ever see and uh yeah the fact that they've packaged it the way they chose to with his other films and with all these incredible sort of special features it it reminded me a little bit of um what criterion did with the jean vigo set they were like (laughs) you know here's here's a guy who's made a bunch of stuff let's give it to you all in one go because uh because we're, we're being nice like that and here they've gone you know 
the whole nine yards, as the expression goes, I believe. And, uh, yeah, I mean, nothing else came close, really. I was hoping to get all the way through the Murnau set. Um, I barely scratched the surface of the Buster Keaton set, I'm sure. I, I'm sure, you know, that's a, a bounty, a bounty of great stuff. But, uh, no, of, of the stuff I did get to, it was, uh, yeah, all the way. From from when it came out right at the beginning of the year, it was like, yeah, this is uh, the one to beat, and nothing ever did. So, easy. Hmm. Yeah, I think just sort of got a slight tangent here. Um, it will sort of come back to my cinema, but I actually thought 2016 was a great year anyway for home cinema release. I spent a lot of money on 2016 on yeah. picking up Blu-rays and box sets and whatnot. And it was there was just so many notes. When, and the fact that this one... If, if, I were, if I were to compile a list of my top 10 releases on any, you know, label over the... This one would definitely be on there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, up there with kind of you know, the BFIs, the Napoleon release and things like that. But it, it was just... It was like... It was the crown jewel, I think, from Masters of Cinema. And like you say, James, to have those other... Just to have the other stuff on there. I did watch... I did watch the other films on it. I mean, to be brutally honest with you, they're, they're not they're not as anywhere near like a movie but just to have them just to just mm-hmm. so that they're out there when you can kind of go into them and yeah it was absolutely brilliant and bfi have put out i have the bfi release of of this one which has a couple of things it doesn't um they have that has a score by the cinematic orchestra um on it that this one didn't actually have but it's it is, it's the i think it's the definitive release of man with a yeah. movie camera I, I think um you know hats off to them it's, it was an absolute joy hmm Okay, so kind of looking back at 2016 for Masters of Cinema, my thoughts are that they did release, um, it's kind of reflected in our picks of the year, which are quite similar. Um, There are like a few key top releases and then there are a bunch of like surprise releases that has they have their flaws but they are really interesting releases nonetheless and i feel like mm. that is reflecting of master cinema in 2016 where they they might not have all of those like classical films but they have interesting films and some of some of the like super top picks like man with the movie camera essentially that we have the death of apparently the death of physical media and it hasn't been the case and it just seems that the competition at the moment there is a lot of labels putting out a lot of films and i think for masters of cinema they've had to really kind of root around and find out find some slightly more left field ones there's i mean obviously there was like the, the temple is like paths of glory and stuff like that but you know three days of the condor mm. um 1900 Novacentio, which that was a bit of a strange one going back to that i have to say <laughs> uh, my, my i first saw that many many years ago and uh, i was watching it thinking oh my god there's way too many penises and animal abuse in this place. yes but, um, <laughs> no but they've yeah, they, donald you know, like, sutherland in that movie though is crazy oh god when he headbutts that cat <laughs> yeah. What is that about? I don't even remember. I, I was genuinely traumatised. I was like, what on earth is going on here? But, you know, even films like Twilight's Last Gleaming, which I, I'd never heard of, knew nothing about, and for two hours on a Saturday afternoon, I had a great time with it. So these little kind mm. of odd picks, and I think the competition is, is stepped up. And uh, I think, like you're saying, you know, Kim, definitely the choices this year, a lot of kind of slightly left field ones. Yeah, and also we got three sort of brand new releases as well. Yes, we were just talking about them, like Queen of the Earth. Um, they seem to be kind of following Alex Ross Perry's career. Mm. 
Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm completely on board with that. But I thought the two the two Japanese films that they picked were sort of definitely interesting ones. I mean, I they've got yeah. brought uh, really enjoyed Kiyoshi Kurosawa stuff in before, and um, um, what was the other one? Oh, Sweet Bean, which is uh, it's a it's a nice little film, and I think those films would not have got a home video release in the UK otherwise. Exactly, so yeah. I'm mm. perfectly sort of behind that, <clears throat> and I'm interested to see what they do more. I like I seem to like their taste in contemporary Asian cinema a lot more than their taste in contemporary American cinema but uh it's a strange yeah. one Alex Ross Perry did you did you, did you did you watch Queen of the Earth yeah I did I, and Queen of the Earth was one I didn't get to yeah it was a, it was a strange one because I sort of I didn't not like it and I didn't like it particularly but I definitely was quite interested by it and I I feel like on a, a repeat viewing might be in order but like you say I'm not I'm not sure if I'm completely down with following the career of Alex Ross Perry yet I think he need, there's a way to go before I think I kind of he, he needs to have the he needs to have the film that makes me go holy right. you know I can really see that this guy has got something because I felt with Queen of the Earth it was very derivative of um kind of Woody Allen films like Interiors and Bergman and you could see you could see what's influenced him and I was kind of thinking I wouldn't mind seeing what you're about as opposed to yeah there's a definite mm. sort of persona vibe to it all wasn't there yeah definitely totally but I think like the strategy that Master Cinema has uh, went down in uh, 2016 I think that's what they sort of need to do to not um, battle for these sort of instant classics uh, with BFI and with Criterion and with Arrow but go for these left field interesting choices um, and sort of uh, go their own path yeah I mean Criterion's going to do its thing isn't it I mean that's the one which I suppose that was the big I suppose the kind of the, the the real kind of surprise of the years was Criterion, you know, coming over to the UK. Yeah. And mm -hmm. they do seem to be kind of putting out more releases. And I was a little bit fearful, really, because I know kind of, you know, was Master Cinema going to survive? And just talking to people who I know, you know, it seems, and the shop I buy my films in, um, they've always got a permanent display of Master Cinema. And they always seem, when I'm going there, there's always people looking at them and buying them. So clearly, you know, they must be doing something right. Um, mm -hmm. And this year, I think that they've done well to kind of add to the back catalogue. I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a really solid catalogue of films, and all the ones this mm -hmm. year, I think, complement it. Mm. Um, another like development in home media this year has been 4K Blu-rays, and we've talked about them briefly before. But now that we've we've gone past the holidays, did any of you two invest or? Uh, were given any like 4K equipment or movies? I don't have any equipment. I did just uh, upgrade my my TV actually, but um, uh, I've got a few that have got 4K restorations on them. But I don't think you, I can now watch them in 4K. But uh, I will. I'll see what happens in mm. the next sort of year or so. I think before I start buying any more hardware, especially for it. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm yet to really kind of do. I, I do need to get a new television. Um, and then we'll perhaps see during that. But, you know, I've got you know, the projector upstairs and all that kind of thing. I've got a pretty great viewing space. My projector's in 4K. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a strange one because I've seen, you know, 4K presentations of films and, and, and whatnot. And, you know what, it's they look great. It's, it's pretty fascinating, I suppose. But this isn't the leap from DVD to Blu-ray. I don't think 
it, it hasn't kind of made me go, oh god, I want to rush out and buy all this, all these films again, and start making sure that everything I see now is in UHD, 4K, Blu-rays. It just, it hasn't really captured my imagination yet. I'm perfectly happy with Blu-ray mm. for the time mm. being. I think, it, but it, it's one of those. It, it, it seems to be one of those format changes because then they're, they're, they're already talking about 8K now in the home. I mean, <laughs> you know, where, where does it end? And it's, it's interesting. I, I mean. And, and the discs are really expensive, but well, actually, I, I, in saying that, I do actually. I mean, I was, I was in the shop the other day, and I noticed films like The Revenant, where you can get the ultra Blu-ray or the UHD thing, whatever, the Blu-ray and the digital copy for like sixteen quid. So I think yeah. I might start buying films if they're in packages mm. like that, because yeah. it's only like a couple of quid more than buying it on the normal Blu-ray. And you're sort of thinking, well, I'm probably going to get round to getting one of these players sometime. So to have it there. You know, it might not necessarily be such a bad thing. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, one of the things I do find about this uh, is is the kind of the advancements in sound in in things like Dolby Atmos and DTSX. I've had some demonstrations of them, and that they're really really impressive. Those sound presentations, and it seems at the moment that um, there's no kind of exclusivity for having kind of Dolby Atmos and DTSX just on UHD. They're putting that on Blu-rays as well. So, you know, I, I can sort of upgrade sound-wise and not kind of miss out on... Because if, if, if it was perhaps that, that they were only exclusive on the UHD, that might kind of push me to kind of change up my hardware a little bit quicker. But for the moment, I'm kind of just happy where I am. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm ready... I'm ready to take the plunge. Uh, I need a new TV, but I have uh, I have a player already um, uh, from the uh, the Xbox. Um, they have a 4K UHD included in that package. So yes. and that was that was so for like uh, 200 pounds or something. So it wasn't as bad. Um, that was one of the surprises because I went with the PlayStation 4 Pro, and yes, and I thought oh, here we go. It. I thought here we go. That'll be my. Um, yeah, my new Blu-ray player didn't include it. Um, very, exactly. very strange yeah. decision. Um, yeah, absolutely. Which would be a bit baffling, to be honest. And I was a little bit disappointed, but it's still a great product. But yeah, yeah. But I hope, I hope perhaps that uh, I don't think Master Cinema will be anywhere near this. But a dual format of Blu-ray and uh, and UHD uh, that would definitely be something I would uh, be sold on. So. Yeah, like future future proof my releases. It seems to be at the moment. It's more for. I mean, this is the other thing people I don't think really kind of kind of kind of grasp is the fact that it all depends on the source material as well. Mm-hmm. And certain films, I don't think older films as well will look great in that format anyway. I, I mean, I when I went to go and watch that four K re release of Lawrence of Arabia. I, I noticed things I'd never noticed in that film that I'm not supposed to notice, like hair pieces, <laughs> right. makeup lines, and all those types of things. And uh, yeah, I don't really want to see see that level of artifice. But for films that have been captured in HD, um, in sorry, in, in like 4K and 8K, I mean, I, I work in. I, I shot something in 4K the other day and put it onto a 1080p monitor. Look crap. You know, and, and you need that equipment. And I don't think people realise, you know, if you put a re-release, a, f- a UHD 4K release of Casablanca out, I don't honestly think you're going to be getting much better than... Blu-ray. What do you think about this whole high frame rate mm. thing? Is that I, is that something that you've really looked at? Because I remember that was kind of the problem with... Was it The, the Hobbit was the first one that did it, wasn't it? And 
I remember that the problem with that is that everything just looked uh, like a set, and you could kind of see the the makeup and see the yes. fake noses and and how wobbly uh, Bilbo's house looked and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, okay, this is just not working with this stuff. No, I don't like it in in films. I think the the, the place the the place for high frame rate is in nature yeah. documentaries yeah, and right. things like that. I think that's mm. where that that would, that's a more natural home for that format. Um, mm. But I mean, I, 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 when I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I kind of liked it for the novelty. It does look incredible. But I mean, like you said, yeah, The Hobbit just looked, well, it looked incredible. I mean, it looked like it was happening in front of me, almost like it was yeah. a theatre yeah. production. But it was still quite jarring at times. Like you say, like the sets, you have to say, well, that's a set, you know, and I didn't, you, you didn't feel that with Lord of the Rings, you know, when you watched that on, on film. And I think there's this kind of, it's interesting. I mean, has Ang Lee not done something as well with high frame rate? I, was, I seem to recall reading some kind of controversy in the film that he's made with it, and I don't think it's something. Ang Lee, I think I'm sure. Yeah, I was just going to get to this because it's um, it's a film called Billy Lynn's Long Half Time Walk. Right. That uh, um, that <laughs> I've I've seen and I I pretty much hated. It's um, shot in 120 frames oh, per second. Oh, and um, and then and in 3D as well, and it I mean it's done because there are scenes of fireworks and stuff like that in it, and um, well you know uh, war war scenes, and so it's it's trying to give you that real sort of uh, you know visceral yeah. kind of like the opening of Saving Private Ryan kind of idea, but then a lot of the film is people just sitting around talking, and they for a lot of it um, they shoot it almost like how. Uh, Science of the Lambs was shot where you, they're talking straight to camera. The camera, the camera is the other person, and when you've got Vin Diesel's face that big <laughs> on a massive screen in 3D, shot at 120 frames. I mean, they couldn't even, they can't even screen it at 120 frames. There's only about four theaters. I think there's four places in the US that can play it at that speed. So I ended up watching it at like 60 frames per second. Um, and 3D, and it's just like, oh, good God. It's just Vin Diesel's face and <laughs> Christian Stewart's face and stuff like that, and it's just a really unpleasant experience having to sort of watch something so fake. That we'll, we'll say, no, that's the opposite. It's like so, so hyper-real. Um, you know, when there's nothing particularly exciting going on on screen, it was a very sort of odd experience and a very odd experiment that I think has failed miserably. Mm. There's something... There's something about like the movement in 60 frames that is so disjointed with uh, 24 frames, where it feels it feels fake, even though it is more like we see uh, reality. Uh, but it feels mm. it feels odd. It, it just doesn't it doesn't compute with me. So uh, I'm I'm constantly like pulled out of the movie when I see things in the high frame rate. Yeah, I mean, this is it. Because when you go to watch a film, I don't like being reminded I'm watching a film. Exactly, yeah. And what I find, like like I found with those Hobbit ones, is that occasionally I was just like, oh, look, a set. And, yeah. Oh, look. look, look you, know, you can see the, the stitching on that person's, you know, costume or what have you. And I don't, I don't want... That's kind of stuff that you just don't, you don't really want to be reminded of. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's, just, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's yet to have the kind of... I don't, I don't think it's caught on. I think that's one thing that's definitely no. happened. I don't think it, there's a, you know, people are crying out to make films in, in that format. It seems to be more 
you know, well, like we had kind of Sarantino go out, didn't we, and go, you know, go back on widescreen, you know, wide, wide, 70 millimetre. And it seems, I think, that people kind of have, have reacted better to going back to older formats than they have kind of pushed mm. through these new ones. Um, you know, IMAX, I'm really looking forward to Dunkirk. Um, mm. That's going to look incredible. Yeah, from what I've seen on IMAX and things like that, I think that looks pretty great. And you know, I don't want to see Dunkirk in hyper real. I want to see a film of Dunkirk, not some sort of right. attempt at some ultra high definition documentary type thing. Mm. I know uh, David Blakesley. He's uh, talked at length about uh, watching DVDs on a 4K Blu-ray player and how just incredible that uh, upgrade uh, is through the through the player. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, oh right, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's it's kind of odd because I, I always kind of I, I, I think I've said this before, but occasionally if I've got a film and DVD, I put a DVD in. I think Do you know what DVDs are still great. They still mm-hmm. look great. But there's nothing worse when there's a couple of films that came out this year, um, Fire at Sea and Notes on Blindness, and they were put out by Artificial Eye, and you couldn't buy them on Blu-ray. And they were dying. No, oh, right. They were, you know, they, they, they <coughs> such beautiful films. And I was watching them on DVD thinking, yeah, this is okay, but I want my Blu-ray of these films. They would look absolutely stunning. And I checked, like, the sources they were filmed on, and they were all filmed on kind of, you know, Ari Alexa cameras and cameras which, you know, capture... You know, you know, 4K, 8K, or what have you, and then they've put out these kind of crappy DVDs of them. It's bizarre <laughs> to me. I'm, I'm actually going to email them and try and find out what's going on on that one. But <laughs> right, I think we're wrapping things up here. Yep. Any, any sure. like, um, any like thoughts on 2017 for Master Cinema? Any uh, closing thoughts? Well, I thought overall it was a solid year. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely got. I, I, like we said, I think Man with the Movie Camera was the kind of the, the the big standout. I'm interested to see what comes out of this year. And like I kind of said, with the kind of the competition being as strong as it is, you know, what what direction are they going to go? I think just to kind of touch on one thing actually is that um, I really want them to put out more Visconti films. I think there's a kind of a, having gone kind of done that uh, binge watch of Italian neorealism. There's a few of his films which I think they could definitely look at and. Uh, yeah, obviously, kind of keep keep digging out some Twilight, Last Gleaming stuff because mm-hmm. that was great. Yeah, I mean, it will be interesting. I remember, I remember the day that when it was announced that the Criterion were coming to the UK, and it, my heart did sort of sink in my chest. I was just like, "Oh shit, that's really gonna gonna impact and hurt Eureka." You know, they're gonna have to really sort of try something different. And I think we're gonna start to really see the impact of that in 2017 you mm. know, I think probably most of these titles that we got this year were already in the pipeline mm-hmm. when that when that kind of happened but uh, already yeah there's some promising stuff you know they're, they're still going strong with contemporary Asian stuff we've got Creepy coming out like next week or something don't we that's a, yeah, yeah. That's a really screen. fun movie yeah I've got that I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. Kind of like, what, I know what was just announced on. I mean, you're talking about the kind of like Criterion releases, you know, up in their game and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the Criterion are putting out the Lone Wolf and Cub box set in the UK in March. You know, it's releases like that that just kind of like they're, they're the ones which people will go crazy over. Yeah, and yeah, for yeah, sure. And it, and it's, it's a shame, you know. Like, kind of, I, I hope Master Cinema kind of keeps up with kind of putting those, you know, finding those kind of those box sets again because, um, yeah. There's, there's, there's certainly a few out there which you know definitely would, would be great to see hmm. I would love for them to put out some like a box set of uh, some Anthony Mann westerns with Winchester yeah. 73 and Naked Spur and mm. one of those totally, so. yeah. 
Oh, yeah, I mean, that conversation with Kim Newman yes. on The Man from Laramie, uh, Blu-ray very nearly made it into my uh, my picks of special features, and I was like, oh, geez, I've got really got to go watch all of these other Anthony Mann movies. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah, I love the fact that we, we are getting sort of drip-fed these classic Hollywood movies in amongst everything else as well. I yeah. think it's just... I think it's a great no, eclectic mix of everything. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, and can we, get, can we get a Blu-ray of, uh, of Shinoda's Silence, please? That would be good. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Especially now that Scorsese's Silence is coming out, so... Yeah, that's definitely... I mean, we, we need to get Hunter back for that episode as well, actually. He's been on... That reminds me. He's been... He's been He's been har- harassing me. <laughs> He's emailed me twice, asking me if he can do it. <laughs> Great. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. No, at all. Thank you. Um, James, then uh, tell the listeners where they can find you online. Uh, the easiest thing to do is follow me on Twitter at Marshy00. And if you go to my blog, which is marshattacks.com, oh. I post up links links to all of my all of my reviews, wherever they are. The uh, pun. That you can find the them all pun. there. <laughs> Absolutely. I, be, I was hanging on to that domain name for years before I did anything with it. <laughs> I right. love it. We will link it in the in the episode description. So Definitely. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, you can find us on moccast.blogspot.com. Uh, find us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And any podcast delivery service uh, you, of your choosing. So, uh, And Tom, where can they find you? Um, I'm on... Twitter at 24framescast, uh, 24framescast.blogspot.com. Um, and yeah, um, you can friend me on Facebook. Um, I'm the look in the Tom Jennings who looks like he's urinating on the Giants Causeway in Northern Ireland. I wasn't, I was trying to take a picture as raining, but it just looks a bit dodgy. So yes, do befriend me. And if you do befriend me on Facebook, as a few people have, can you say it's from the podcast? Because I can't differentiate between nutters who just want to look at my who, who scare some people I just can't work out so apologies if you were one of those nutters who I didn't befriend you're obviously not a nutter it's just that I didn't know who you were so yeah if you do put the little thing in the, like, as a few of you have been doing which has been really helpful so thank you Yeah. and you're still not on Facebook um, Joachim are you you hipster no I, I, I quit so yeah <laughs> <laughs> whatever <laughs> okay so thank you again boys cheers mate and no, thank you for- thank you And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.